0: Galatians chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So many have expressed how they have been blessed in our study of Galatians thus far. And they're beginning to understand that we don't put ourselves under the law, but we put ourselves under him. We, We have Christ that lives in us. Because we don't put our hope in something that doesn't save us. We put our hope in Jesus who saves us. And as we go through this epistle, I hope you're being freed up because so many Christians, their lives are based on performance. If I perform well enough, then God loves me and I have his favor. I've earned his approval. Rather than by faith, even as Paul would say in the prison epistle of Colossians later after he wrote this, just as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, that you also walk in him. That is, you continue as you received him by his grace through faith. You've been saved. You continue in that faith and you continue in that grace that he has bestowed upon you. And even as Paul writes the theme of the book of Galatians, that the just shall live what? By faith. And so I pray that this has been a tremendous blessing. And today, as we continue in our study, we've gone as far as verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3. And we'll pick it up there. As, Father, we come here. And, Lord, we thank you for this morning, a time of worship. We are grateful this Thanksgiving weekend for the many blessings that we have that come from you. Lord, uh, the blessing of your word. Uh, the salvation that we have that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So we want to be attentive to the things that you're showing us and teaching us through your word. So help us be attentive to open up our ears to you. And Lord, be sensitive and teachable uh, to your word. And Lord, I pray we, we would be, just remember to turn our ringers off our phones. We want to be Lord, one that is in our seats, we want to be attentive these next few moments because you're speaking to us through your word. And you honor your word, David wrote in the Psalms, above your name. It's amazing. So we give honor to the word of God. We know that this is truth given to us. We want to be established in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. So keep in mind as we're traveling through this chapter of Galatians chapter three, that the apostle, of course, has been writing to the Christians of Galatia, the Gentile believers about the gospel of grace, the gospel grace that he brought to them. He said that this gospel is the only gospel. That's one thing that we've really have emphasized Going through the book of Galatians, there's not two gospels, but there's one gospel, the gospel of grace that Paul says was revealed to me by the Lord. And they were being troubled because after Paul and Barnabas left that first missionary journey that you read about in the books of Acts and chapters 14, and um, you see the churches of Galatia being established, Derby, and Iconium and Lystra, that the Judaizers, who were Jewish legalists, would come in behind Paul and Barnabas' ministry. And they began troubling the believers. They, as chapter 1 tells us, they perverted, or that word in verse 7 of chapter 1 means to distort, to take away the gospel of Christ to another gospel, which is not the gospel. And in these chapters, the Apostle Paul has not only been defining once again the gospel of grace, But here he's defending the gospel of grace. And we are seeing in chapter 3 here that Paul using Abraham in the book of Genesis as an illustration of justification by faith. That legal term that you are justified before God. Uh, It literally means just as if I've never sinned. We, We in as we are forgiven by Jesus Christ justification comes as we come in faith. And he wrote in verse 6 of the chapter that it was when Abraham, he was justified because he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, that was a very important point because those legalists would think, well, you know, what about the law that we're going to see that Paul's going to address? He uses Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, as an illustration of, listen, think about this, that in chapter 15, verse 6, as he quotes from that, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was not until 14 years later that the the covenant of circumcision was instituted to Abraham's descendants. So it was Abraham's faith and his, his faith in believing God that brought righteousness to him, not the act of circumcision that justified Abraham that came later. So very important point is he is saying, I'm going to show you from the scriptures, it's been that way. And in verse 11 of the chapter here, no one is justified by the law in the side of God. And we have read that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We understand that the law doesn't bring life. The law brings death. And that's what he's going to continue to reiterate. Somebody told me last week or the week before, after one of the services, I said that the law never saved anyone. Jesus Christ saves us. That the law brings a curse, as Paul wrote in this chapter. There's a curse attached to it because we don't keep the law. And he's going to continue to reiterate that. It is Christ that brings life. And they said it just kind of clicked for me that I am one that has life in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to put myself under that which cannot bring me life. So we have read that we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, and Paul uses Abraham as that example of justified by faith. And he reminds us of the unchanging promise from Genesis chapter 22, that through your seed, singular, all the nations shall be blessed. The seed being Christ, and the law which came 430 years later, after God had made that promise to Abraham, does not annul that promise. That promise is unchanging, and that's where we left off last time. So the legalists or the Judaizers that would be reading this, they would say, well, Paul, what then was the purpose of the law? So that's where we're going to pick up our text in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So, Paul, if you're telling us, And you're showing us that to be righteous before God is to have simple faith in the Savior Jesus Christ and that a promise was given to Abraham before the law ever came down from Mount Sinai and that all the nations would be blessed saved through the seed of Abraham. That seed being Jesus Christ, that promise is not void because of the law. So the legalists would ask, then why was the law even given? What was the purpose of the law? Now, here's the thing to remember about the law the law is God's holy standard. The law is righteous. Matter of fact, in Psalm 19, it tells us the law is perfect. So, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is you and me. The law exposes me as a transgressor, it exposes me as a sinner. The law, the the line is straight. And it shows us, as we travel down the road of life, how much we transgress away from that straight line. Matter of fact, transgressions literally means to cross the line. A sin means to miss the mark. It's like an archer who pulls back the the bow with an arrow, and he's trying to hit the bullseye, but he misses. And we miss the mark. We miss the bullseye. We we are sinners. And we transgress away from... From God's way, our hearts rebel against the law, and we're all sinners. So the law shows us, as we've been discussing, that we are transgressors. And it would also, listen, prepare us for the work of the Messiah. And that's what Paul's going to bring out. It would be given the law till the seed would come, that is Jesus Christ. Now, it is not that the law of Moses was revoked when Jesus came. Matter of fact, Jesus said that I come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. But as a Christian, the law of Moses is no longer our basis for approaching God. And that is when we give the gospel the good news that sin needs to be a part of that message. In other words, I like what Greg Laurie said one time. I heard him on the radio. Many of you are familiar with Greg Laurie's ministry. He does the Harvest Crusades and he has had thousands that have come to Christ through the crusades. And uh, he's just a really, uh, God has used him as an evangelist. But one of the things that he said, that for us to give the good news, first got to tell him the bad news. And the bad news is that we're all sinners. The bad news is that sin has brought death to us. The bad news is, is there's a problem, a sin problem. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus came To save us from sin. He took our sins upon himself, made atonement for our sins, and he rose again after three days. And so as we come in faith, then we are forgiven of sin. We have right relationship with the Father, and then we have the hope of eternal life. And the reason I mentioned that is because it is important for you and I, as we give the gospel to others, that they understand why they need the Savior of the world. Sometimes I'll hear uh, teachers behind the pulpit say, Well, just come and connect to Jesus. And, and people are going, Why do I need a savior? Why do I need to connect to Jesus? Because you're lost. Because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came to die for your sins and make atonement and to recognize that you're a sinner in need of him, to come to him in faith. I can't save myself, I can't come by my own goodness. Also, I find it interesting that Paul reveals to us that it was angels that gave the law of Moses. Angels who were the mediator for Moses when he received the law of God. We know that we have a mediator, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that we have a mediator, that is Jesus Christ between man and God. But in verse 20 now, mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. And as I've mentioned before, no Mosaic law was a covenant between two parties, both of whom had responsibilities. So the law was a two-party agreement brought by mediators. On the other hand, God is one that is, the promise given to Abraham. that was unilateral and was given to man directly without a mediator, given by God, who will be faithful to keep it. We continue reading in verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures has confined, all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It's not the purpose of the law to give life. If it could bring life, then righteousness, as Paul's writing here, making a very important point, would have been through the law. Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. Now, a very important prayer that I've brought this up before. In the garden, you remember that Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed... He's sweating great drops of blood. He's praying to the Father, and he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will or your your will be done. And that was a very, very important prayer because Jesus is saying, If it is possible, what is possible? It's salvation. If righteousness could come to anyone. If eternal life could come, forgiveness of sin, if it is possible, if you could do it by being righteous, by the law, if you could do it by believing in some God, being a good person, if it is possible, let this cup, the cup of suffering and death, pass from me, nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. And because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, it would be shortly after that as they came to arrest Jesus that Peter pulled out a sword and, and uh, was going to defend Jesus. And, and Jesus said, Peter, stop. Put the sword away. Don't you know that I will take on the cup that the Father has given me to drink, the cup of suffering and death? Because it was the only way for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He went to the cross for the joy that is you and me, knowing that it was the only way that you and I could be saved. If it is possible, it wasn't. The cross is the only way through life and his resurrection and believing in him. And that's what we are to tell others. It isn't by another religious system. It isn't by you trying to be good. It's through what Jesus Christ has done for you. The law, that puts us under confinement, he writes. It's like the law puts us in prison because it can't bring righteousness and faith in Jesus Christ. is what frees us from that confinement and bondage. The law of Moses shows us the problem of sin, God's standard. But it cannot give us the freedom that only Jesus can give. The freedom given to those who believe. So in verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. So this is important as well. Continuing to comment on the purpose of the law, Paul has established very clearly, very powerfully and persuasively that the law is perfect or not. The law shows God's standard, we don't keep it, because we are sinners, all of us. Romans declares in chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In chapter 5 of Romans, that because of Adam's sin, sin and death has come to all men that were born sinners. And that the scripture shows us that we're all confined or imprisoned by the law. But here in verse 23, Paul uses a different idea here, and that is we are kept under guard by the law. The idea behind confined in verse 22 is imprisonment. The idea behind under guard is protective custody, as we read that here uh, in verse 23. In other words, the law brought protection for the people of God. Now, how did the law protect them, you might be thinking? The law showed them the best way to live. God protected and shielded his people from evil, heathen practices that the other nations were involved in. And they were God's people to be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah writes that, a light to those nations. So when those nations saw how they were blessed, how they lived a good and healthy and best way that God has provided for them because God gave them instruction on in how they should live, that they would know that God was real. It would be a witness to the other nations of God's goodness and protection. The other nations, because they didn't have God's law, they were involved in false worship and false gods. Um, They were involved in idolatry. Uh, They ended up being involved in all sorts of immorality and violence and depravity. They were burning their own children on the arms of Moloch. And so what Paul is getting at is, yes, the law being God's holy standard of righteousness, it shows us that you and I, we break the law. We can't keep it, but also the law serves as a restrainer of sin. God gave his people his law so that they would not destroy themselves with depravity and sin and darkness and deception. The law acts as a check and a foundation for law so that there isn't total lawlessness parents we just had a a baby dedication this morning praying for faith and Joe to raise Deegan in the ways of the Lord you as a parent you want to raise your children in the ways of the Lord what is right and wrong so when they grow up they will make good decisions we pray that they make good decisions morally spiritually for their lives Jesus said I came to give you life and life abundantly That they may walk in his ways. The law was given to the children of Israel. And we see in the Old Testament. In the historical books. In the prophetic books. How when they turned to idols. It led to all kinds of sin. It led to captivity and bondage. And. And just all kinds of problems and eventually captivity. The book of Judges that we have in the Old Testament, a period of about 400 years. That the theme of the book of Judges, that they, they did what was right in their own eyes. And when you read the book of Judges, it goes from bad to worse. As they were just doing what they thought was right in their own eyes, getting involved in the Canaanite gods, finding themselves in bondage. It's just a hard book to read at times. And then after Solomon, as the nation split the ten northern nations, the house of Israel, 19 kings, and every one of those kings were idol worshipers. And they were ones that worshipped Baal and Astaroth and involved in false worship. And as that was happening, it went uh, to were a place where they were led into captivity by the Assyrians. They refused to turn back to the Lord. Same thing with the house of Judah, as the Babylonians took them away captive. I think about our own nation, how our nation was founded upon biblical principles and truth. Men who feared God and believed in God. And as a nation, as we were a Christian nation, how we've gotten further and further away from the Lord, from God's word. We are now living the days of the judges, doing what is right in our own eyes. We don't want God in our courts, we don't want God in our you know leadership and, and we don't want God in our schools. We don't want to hear about the Lord. We don't want to sing Christmas songs. We don't want to say merry christmas. We don't want any of that. And we're seeing the consequences of it. We're seeing it go from bad to worse. We are on a steep decline morally and spiritually. I think about the 30 years that I've been in ministry, how that people are getting as a whole further away from the Lord. And I really believe this with all of my heart, that the hope for this nation is a spiritual awakening that will take place. Otherwise, it's going to continue to get worse. A turning away from the Lord and His ways. A verse that I always tell people and remind you of is, what John would write that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, every commandment that God gives to us is an expression of his love to you and to me. Because he doesn't want us to get hurt. He doesn't want us to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be in deception and depressed and 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 you know defeated. He gives his love to us through his word. This is what I want you and how I want you to be blessed. Live in this way, the right way. Live in holiness, the highway of holiness. is a better way of living because what the world will do is come along and will bring you into the darkness, deception, hold you in bondage and captivity and all kinds of problems will happen in your life. And we see it with people all around us and it breaks our heart, doesn't it? Don't live after the world. Live after the Lord. Live after him. The law of Moses imprisons us, confines us because we're sinners, but there's another sense that it is a guard to us, restrains us from sin. It shows us God's standard. Can you imagine what this nation would be like if there wasn't any Christians? If we didn't have the word of God. But Paul goes on as he says in verse 23, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. In other words, the law of Moses prepares us to come to Jesus because it exposes God's standard that we don't keep it. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, stop and see what it's there for. Okay? Because of this, what we just talked about, the law was our tutor, verse 24, to bring us to Christ that so we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the purpose of the law was to bring us to Christ, to make us realize that I'm not justified by the law. The law doesn't bring me life, but I am justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that word tutor in the Greek, or it might read schoolmaster in your translation, was actually that of a servant that had the responsibility to his master's children's guardian, specifically when it came to young boys. And he was to supervise the sons on behalf of the parents. The tutor made sure that they went to school, that they did their lessons, that they, they learned and trained them in, in obedience. And they would discipline them even. It's kind of like super nanny in a way. And this, this tutor, that role of the tutor was never permanent. When that boy grew into an adult, he would then be free from his tutor their relationship changed. They might remain close and friendly, but the tutor had no more authority over the master's son. The purpose of the law, it was a tutor to lead man to Christ that we might be justified. And when a person comes to Christ by faith, there is no authority of the law. We are no longer under a tutor. The law has done its job. And listen, if someone does not present the law in a way and in a manner that brings people to faith in Jesus. They're not presenting the law properly. The law was the tutor showing us, you failed, you failed, you failed, you didn't hit the bullseye, you crossed over the line, you didn't make the grade. So your hope is not in the law. My hope is in Jesus Christ. So the law exposes us for who we are, sinners, hopeless, guilty. And now I need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Now, many of you, you remember Nicodemus at John chapter 3. I love John chapter 3 because there's the three must. The first must is Nicodemus came to Jesus. Jesus called him the master teacher of Israel. And as he comes to Jesus at night... He says to Jesus, we know that you're from God because no one could do the things that you do unless God was with him. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, if one is to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, who had dedicated his life to teaching the law, his students, and, and uh, was dedicated to studying the law, he's hearing this and he's struggling with it. What do you mean you must be born again? Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, you're the master teacher of Israel. Don't be surprised. Don't you realize that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say that you must be born again. And Nicodemus, as he was hearing that, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must, the second must of the chapter, be lifted up. And I'm sure that Nicodemus didn't quite understand that. As Jesus was making reference to the book of Numbers, when the children of Israel, they they sinned and they were murmuring and poisonous snakes came and began to bite the people. And it was Moses that was told, put a bronze serpent up in the middle of the, the camp and whoever looks at that bronze serpent will be saved. Just as that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, I must be lifted up. And Nicodemus, I think he came to understand a couple years after that because John chapter 3 happened early in Jesus' ministry. As he was there at the cross with Joseph of Arimathea, another council member, that they would take care, as you know, the gospel accounts tell us, of the body of Jesus preparing his body for burial to be put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a tomb that had never been used. But Nicodemus seeing Jesus lifted up, I understand I understand that he was lifted up for my sins because I've been bitten by the snake of sin in my life. And now he's brought life to me and they became disciples of Jesus is what we're told in God's word. So Nicodemus, you must be born again. And we're born again as we come to faith by Christ by faith. And Paul writes, after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor In verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. So talking about a believer's present position, one who has come to Christ by faith, you become sons and daughters of God. The Galatian believers needed to know their true standing in Christ. It was not by the keeping of the law to have his favor. It isn't by you have to be circumcised. But through faith, you are sons, children of the living God, sons and daughters of the living God, and that would be very freeing to the Gentile believers. My four children, even though they're adults, I have a special relationship with them. And just as many of you, that you had your children around for Thanksgiving and at other times you do, maybe at Christmas you will, but as I had my four kids... They, they would call me dad. Hey, dad. They didn't ask permission to call me dad. They didn't whisper it. They didn't say it with hesitation. It's always been dad because we have relationship, special relationship, a place of affection and closeness and love and care. And it will always be that way. And so too with you, with our heavenly father. And we're going to see in the next chapter that Paul will write that we have the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 8. We don't have the spirit of fear. My children then come up, you know, trembling and in fear. Can I call you dad? No, freely. Knowing that I love them and always will love them. And your heavenly father loves you. And you don't have the spirit of fear, but Abba, which means Papa. Abba, Father. I belong to you because I have a spirit of adoption through faith. And Paul says that we're baptized unto Christ. We put on Christ. Now, he did not say baptized unto water, but rather that we are saved by faith in Jesus. We're baptized into the body of Christ. That's what's being referred to here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, that is the body of believers. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we all have been made to drink into one spirit. So the baptism being referred to is is, is what joins us believers to Christ as we become members of the body of Christ. Now, the water baptism does, we identify with Christ. It's it's a powerful illustration that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 6. As we identify with Christ in this newness of life, graphically illustrate it when we are water baptized, in that just as water baptism, we are immersed in water. So when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ by the Spirit, we are immersed in Jesus. When a person goes under the water, you don't see much of that person. You mostly see water. When you come to Christ, baptized unto Christ, when you do it by illustrating that proclamation that I'm a believer, that in this newness of life, identifying with him, that as you go under the water, it symbolizes... That is, by faith, I've now been baptized into the body of Christ. And as we are believers, it shouldn't be that we see much of me, or it should be less of me. The third must, the third must in the book of John chapter 3. You must be born again, I must be lifted up. And then John the Baptist says that I must decrease, he must increase. And as we continue to be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, that he is going to increase, that we are going to decrease. We're going to die to self, pick up our cross, and follow him. We put on Christ is what he says here. Now, in the language here, the phrase has the idea of putting on a suit of clothes. And in the Roman culture, when a youth came of age, he was given a special toga, which gave him the full rights of a Roman citizen. And it indicated that he wasn't a youth anymore. But he was accepted as an adult. So Paul says, you Galatian believers, put aside the old garment of the law. You put on Christ's robe of righteousness with grants full acceptance before God. Now, there used to be a clothing store. They had commercials. And their motto was, the clothes makes the man, is what they would say. Well, you're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As you put on Christ, Paul uses that term not only in Galatians, he uses it in the prison epistles of Ephesians and Colossians. He says, put off the old life, the old stuff, you know, the lewdness. Uh, Put it off and then you put on Christ. Put on the work of the Spirit, love and gentleness and kindness. That's what you're to do. People should be able to see that you belong to him by looking at your life. Do you know that? Because we not only believe the gospel, we live the gospel. So can I ask us all a question? What do people see when they look at us? They're not going to see perfection. But do they see something in the reality of Jesus Christ? And one of the things that grieves me more than anything else is when I have somebody that I'm ministering to and they say, well, why should I come to Christ? i got a coworker, or a family member or a neighbor. They say that they're a believer. They act no different than I do. The things that come out of their mouth, they go out partying, immorality, they're no different than me. Why do I need to come to Christ? Do people see something of Jesus in us? I pray and hope that they do. In our speech and in our behavior, in our faith, in our love for others, in our conduct. Do they see light? Because he's brought us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. We have the light of Jesus Christ in us. And to be a witness is not only with words, as I've said, but it's with your life. So you are sons of God through Christ. You are baptized unto Christ. You have put on Christ. And why is it? Because of your own righteousness? By the keeping of the law? By your own efforts and works? No, it's because of faith in what Jesus has done for you. And you're dead to the old stuff. You don't put on the old garments, you now identify with Christ. In verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Christ Jesus, even though there are many of us that are in Christ, we put on Christ, we're in the body of Christ, we're one, formed and fitted together in the one. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think of all the people that come through the services this morning. And I think of all the different backgrounds and ages and experiences. But we have one thing in common, don't we? That brings us together as a family. And as we love Jesus. And we believe in him. It's amazing. We're all included in this thing called the church. We're a group of people who share the same life. Who belong to the same Lord. Who are filled with the same spirit. We have unity in being in this one body we're all one in christ all part of the body of christ as paul would say in 1 corinthians chapter 12 as well that even though we're all in the one body of christ each of us individual members all have a part to play service which he calls you to do and gifts you so that the body of christ my function and my minister to others may edify and bless others in other words, God wants to use you. And it reminds me so much of what he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, since he ordained beforehand that you should walk in them. In other words, God wants to use you. He wants to use you. And whatever he's gifted you in, the gifts of the Spirit, the opportunities he's given to you, don't try to be something or do something that you're not called to do. But Lord, I'm in the body of Christ. And I want to be light in the darkness. I want to give truth. I want to serve others. Lord, you have something for me. Not it's everybody else, but not me. No, you. You. He wants to use you as you're in the body of Christ. And we'll talk more about that as we continue through Galatians. But if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, the issue is not are you under the law. But the issue is that you are in Christ. And you are justified by your faith in him. So Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this chapter that... It really brings clarity, the, these first three chapters as Paul is defending grace, that, Lord, that we can be free from the law and we are free to live for you in faith, that we can come and walk with you and, because we have the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We have that, Lord, relationship with you through Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for us and rose again to give us a living hope, who was lifted up on that cross and we come being born again by faith, baptized into the body of Christ and then the work of the Spirit as we put on Christ to live for you. And I do want to pray if there's anyone here, maybe you're listening online or later on the radio if you never truly come to Christ, that the Bible says to repent. That means quit going in the direction you're going and turn to Christ. He is your hope. He was on that cross, shedding his blood, body convulsing, beaten beyond recognition, a lamb that was led to the slaughter, the lamb of God, and he cried out, it is finished. He finished it. He was put into a tomb and he rose again and he conquered sin and death. And now he says, come. It's always the invitation to come. You cannot save yourself. You might think, well, I'm so far gone. God will never forgive me. All manner of sin is forgiven. You come as you are. You confess you're a sinner. You turn to him. And you give your life and heart to him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can do it right now. Today is the day of salvation. You can pray sincerely in your heart that, Jesus, I come, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess that I am a sinner and need of forgiveness, and you're the one that made provision for me. You're the one that died on the cross for me. Forgive me. You're alive. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. To sit upon the throne of my heart, And I do want to walk with you. I want to know you, learn of you. And I thank you for this new beginning and bring me into the family of God. In Jesus' name. For all of us this Christmas season, I think about that Christmas story, how Mary held that newborn, the Son of God, there in Bethlehem in her arms. And it says in Luke chapter 2 that she pondered all these things, just marveling. That this Christmas season in the busyness as we're finishing school and projects and baking and shopping and all the lists that we have to go through, decorating, that we would take the time to stop to marvel. That you loved us so much that you gave of your son. To truly bring us goodwill and peace to bring us salvation. I thank you for this morning, Lord. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name.